Good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. We will be continuing our study on the subject of sin and finishing up our series. Don't intend another lesson after this on this matter. I have other series already lined up for our coming Sunday evenings. But tonight we want to look at the defeat of sin. So we talked about sin and the consequences of it in our first study. And last week we looked at sin and what it is by its nature and definition. And this week we'll be looking at the defeat of sin. I had a few comments last week on things that some had hoped would be uh, addressed. And so I'm going to try to touch on those a little bit further here. So uh, Satan sinned first. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Satan is the one that began it. He is the one who in his sin caused humanity to sin, tempted humanity to sin. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, John says that Satan sinned from the beginning. What beginning? And when we look at it, we look at there in the garden. We look at Genesis chapter 3, and we see Satan deceiving the woman to eat of the tree, and there she falls, and she gives that to Adam, and he sins as well. Satan's deception of humanity, humanity makes him a murderer. Listen to what the Bible says Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. How is Satan a murderer? You entice somebody to do something that will lose their soul, cause them to fall away. And kind of applying to this lesson that we had this morning, when you look at what Jesus says about those who lead away children, it'd be better for them if a millstone was placed around their head and they were cast into the sea. That's how wrong it is, how evil it is to lie. The first lie, the first sin from Satan was false doctrine, false teaching. And we want to stay away from false doctrine. We want to stay away from doctrines that will murder others. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He had abandoned it. He had given it up. He had turned against God because of conceit. You see that in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan displays his character, who he is, by his actions. And he is the father of lies. That is, he is the beginning of all of it. That really gives you the beginning, a start of how it all began, how Satan deceived. Last week, we also asked the question, and I thought we'd comment it again this week. Did God create sin? The answer we came to on a Wednesday night study and Sunday night we're in agreement with is that God certainly created everything, but he did not create sin. Sin is not something to be created. It is taking away from what is good. It, just as light or darkness is the absence of light, sin is the absence of good. It's taking away from that. And that is the conclusion we've come to, that it is a corruption of good. And when God made everything, it was good. It was very good. One of the other things that was brought to my mind last week, is someone noted to me, and I had to reconsider and study this a little bit further on this subject. Because God is all good and all wise, God created the best possible world to defeat sin. We went through different types of worlds people could come up with where Everybody would be saved or everybody would, nobody would sin or there would be no such thing or any way for sin and that there would be no free will. All those worlds did not produce a world of forgiveness and it ultimately did not resort in the greater good. It did not lead to a higher standard of living and morality and it did not have God defeating evil. 
God has made the best possible world to defeat evil. However, you make the case, will God make a better world? Yes, the Bible describes that. Many people call that place heaven. Hebrews 13 and verse 11 calls it a heavenly country. God does not destroy all evil instantly either. We see this in the scriptures. But gradually over time, so no, not to take away free will from humanity, he does it in that way. In fact, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that he's patient with everybody, wanting no one to perish, but that all come to repentance. And in that sense, have the opportunity to overcome evil. We also see this about the fall of man and creation. Sin was the fall of man and creation. This is why there's suffering in the world. This is why there are problems in the world today and things that we struggle with. Romans 8, 19-22 alludes to this and speaks of it. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And you look at that, and a lot of people read that, and they're like, I have no idea what Paul's saying there. But you look at it closely. He's saying the creation's waiting another time. It has fallen. Man has sinned. Things have changed. Nature cannot exist as a paradise for humanity as long as we sin and we, we choose to rebel against God. In fact, the Bible says that ultimately the earth will be melted down and burned, and in that sense, destroyed. He says the creation is eager, longing for something greater, for the revealing of the sons of man, for their hope, for the blessing that's going to come upon them, that there's something greater that's going to come. And what stood out to me in this passage was the freedom from corruption, the freedom that of corruption that comes from evil. When we talk about sin being corruption of good, it also corrupted creation. God created everything in the beginning, and he said it was good. God works his plan to, to the defeat of sin, and he does so in the fullness of time. He doesn't do it instantly. And some have said, why doesn't he do it instantly? And again, that doesn't give opportunity of free will. It doesn't give the, the better qualities, the higher standard of morality to find and observe the nature of God and for the restoration of humanity. It doesn't do that. But God through time works his will. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10 says this, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And we see this in the scriptures. When you look at the different ages throughout the Bible, you remember the Joel Miller film strip? Joel Miller film strip breaks it down, and you learn about the patriarchal age and the mosaical age, and then the Christian age, also called the church age. You could probably break it down some more. In fact, some people you could get a lot of ages out of this. The first age we see in the creation is there's paradise. Man and woman living together, everything is good, and they have one command, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet they do that. God gives man free will. You choose what the state of the world you want it to be. Secondly, we have a pre-diluvian world, which diluvian means before the flood. So it's before the flood, pre-diluvian, and in this world, God allows humanity to go on to live in the world of which they have created and to live according to their conscience 
But what do they do? They start murdering one another and killing one another and blood is spilt. And so God says, I'm going to kill all of humanity. And he sends a flood. Post-Diluvian, humanity starts again from Noah and his sons, post-flood. And after that flood, there's a man named Nimrod who rises up, kind of starts the first empire. And you hear about the Tower of Babel, and you hear about the nations that start to form across the earth. And in this time, you see an age of nations. And what we've noted here is that man by his own free will, number one, paradise, pre-Diluvian by his own conscience, and then thirdly, post-Diluvian, even when they get together and they can speak their own, the same language and they can form their own nation, none of that from man's will can defeat sin. There is something greater. And all these things are pointing forward to something greater. Then comes the time of the patriarchal, under the patriarchs, kind of coming out of this post-flood situation. And we start to see that hope that was promised in Genesis of the offspring of woman bruising and crushing the head of the serpent. And here under Abraham, the nations of the world will be blessed. In five, God brings about a nation of Israel in the Mosaical age. He gives them a law, but it's not law that's able to, to help them to overcome sin. It shows them where they sin, but they're still not able to defeat it. Abraham as a patriarch is not able to come overcome sin. Moses and everything that he did is not able to overcome sin. Israel does not overcome sin. They sin and they go into exile. And then we see in the right and the fulfillment of God's time, another age, the age of Christ, the Christian age. Christ comes. He's able to defeat. He's able to provide a way for us to overcome death and sin. And in the end, it's going to result in a paradise. Christ said, I go away to prepare a place for you. John 14, verse 3. Sin and death. Sin causes three forms of death. Number one, it causes a spiritual death by the knowledge of sin, and we've seen that throughout the book of Romans. It tells us when we've done wrong. Number two, it causes a physical death that Adam and Eve, they could have kept eating from the tree of life and lived forever, but with their sin came death, and they were removed from the garden. Number three, there's eternal death, and we've commented on this as well. This is when you are separated from God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 through 9. And we begin to see this. Our hope is in only one way, and the culmination of the ages and the fullness of time is in Jesus Christ. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost. That's what Christ said, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. We go back to Genesis. We see God's plan handed at, prophesied of, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Here it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here the offspring is spoken of as male, the seed of woman, to conquer and crush Satan. The only reference I know of in the New Testament talking about this, and we get figures of it, of Satan being the serpent and him being defeated, but Romans 16 and verse 12 stands out the most. And here Paul writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here we are in the Christian age and as Christians we have the ability that only Christ has given us to crush Satan, to be a part of his plan to destroy evil once and for all. Jesus triumphed over Satan by his death on the cross. Colossians says that, chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. 
Listen to what John wrote. He says this in chapter 3 and verse 8 of his first epistle. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That is the mission of Christ, to put an end to wickedness, to defeat evil, to destroy these works of the devil. I like Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Listen to the description here. The Hebrew writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, in Greek it's reversed, blood and flesh, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God had a plan. He had it set in the fullness of time to conquer evil. The Bible warns us again and in and tells us the descriptions of Satan. False teachers disguise themselves as their master, Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light. Many people are taken away and they'll be deceived by something that they might perceive as good, as someone who appears as an angel of light and doing good. And yet, they may, as we see in the Scriptures, be working for Satan to deceive others. So we see this, and Ezekiel 28 gives a description of Satan and his fall. I want you to look at this, of who Satan was. It says here in Ezekiel 28 that he was an angel, a cherub. If you have your Bibles, look at this with me. Ezekiel 28, starting verse 14 to 17. He says, You are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence, and in your midst you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground, and I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And this is paralleling the king of Tyre. But you see the picture of Satan. He became deceived by his own beauty. He corrupted wisdom, and he turned against God. And you have a similar description in Isaiah 14 of who he is and how Satan fell. And ultimately, Revelation 12 says that Satan will fall because of his rejection of God and his attempt to destroy Christ. And then we come to this. We see this in the Scripture. What's the victory? What's the triumph? How does Christ overcome sin and death? 1 Corinthians 15, 53. It says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all the things and everything we've seen about sin, we see the consequence of it, the death. We see the answer to it was Christ conquering death through the gospel, through his actions, by his death, and rising from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was the victory over death. First Corinthians talks about this. Humanity's enemy 
is death, it is sin, the Scriptures say. 1 Corinthians 15 actually says that, that our enemy is death. It's bodily, it's spiritual, it's eternal. And Paul wrote this in Romans 4, 24 to 25. He says, It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus had to rise to give us justification to make us right. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Christ had to rise from the dead. This is the victory. This is how he overcame death, by coming back to life. Death could not hold him. Christ's defeat of sin and death reveals how the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. I know tonight, and a lot of these lessons have been more of a lecture, kind of hard to make uh, a lot of parallels and stories from nature and creation and from my children into these studies. But in the end, we see this. We see the hope in all of this theology and all the study of these passages, what God is doing. He had a plan, and we need to trust in Him, put our faith in Him. Romans chapter 1, 15 to 16, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. He's talking to the church there. The word for preach here is the Greek word for evangelism. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we have this doctrine, and it stands on the application of the gospel. How much does the Christian's understanding of sin matter? I don't think we should be ignorant or foolish about this. I don't think we should write off sin. We need to understand what it is. It's contrary to God's nature. It's contrary to His law. We know that for the greatest possible good to happen in this world, God had to make it the way that it is. We can't just simply say, well, if God wouldn't have allowed sin, then I wouldn't be accountable for it. No, that's not how it works. But that we turn to Christ, we turn to God's Word, and we see that this is God's ultimate plan. He will overcome it. I encourage you tonight, I challenge you, do not move away from the power of the gospel in your faith. Sometimes we need to understand and see the darkness so that the light is in so much brighter and it's in contrast. You ever move from a dark room to a bright room, you see that. And when God's word, when we look at what sin is and the darkness that it is, and we compare it to what Christ has done in his light, there is a stark contrast. The one that should It is one that should keep us in awe of his will. And I encourage you as well, when we study this and we look at the power of the gospel, that we avoid controversies that cause quarrels on these matters. We want to stay true to the scriptures. This is what we see is an invitation tonight. One must believe in the resurrection to be saved. Romans 10 and verse 9, Paul says, Because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 6, verses 4 through 5. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This evening, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, do it. The Bible describes it right here. You need to confess your faith, And Jesus, that he is Lord, that he rose from the dead. 
You need to repent of your sins, be buried with Christ in baptism, rise to the newness of life. There's the gospel in action. There's the gospel when it's on our heart. We will act. Tonight, if you need to obey that, you need to repent of sin, you have had a struggle in your life, you need prayers and encouragement, if the concept around sin has led you to go astray, and it has for many, we need to repent. God help us to do that. Tonight, whatever your needs may be, we encourage you to come right now as we stand and as we sing.